Hi, I'm Todd Hunter. Welcome to the C4SO podcast. Today, I introduce you to a new ministry in Churches for the Sake of Others called Hope on the Inside, led by Lisa Durr, who's a deacon here at Good Shepherd Anglican in Nashville, Tennessee. She's here with two of her colleagues, Michelle and Marianne, and the story they have to tell is a very passionate, evocative um, way to think about prison ministry, and they lay out some hopes for prison ministry expanding throughout C4SO. There's a few audio problems with this that we couldn't fix, especially towards the end, but I encourage you to hang in because what's said is so important. I hope you enjoy. Hey, C4SO family, this is Bishop Todd. I have the delight today of having three guests, and they're three women. So ladies, you can't gang up on me. I'm going to do my best to try to like control. We've never had three guests before, but <laughs> we're going to we're going to give it a shot as we introduce uh, today uh, the C4SO family to this new prison ministry called Hope on the Inside. So I'm joined today by Michelle Bonner, uh, Lisa Durr, who's soon Saturday Lisa a priest. Mm-hmm. And uh and then also um one of Lisa's colleagues uh uh, Marianne Locke is with us as well, as well. So you'll you'll meet her in a moment. All right, Michelle, introduce yourself a bit to our listeners. And I was fascinated when I heard about this thinking you've done about the cycle of hopelessness, as you call it. So um, maybe tie that in, weave it into your story a bit. Help us know you. Okay. Well, hello. My name is Michelle, and it's an honor and pleasure to be here. I first want to say that it it's kind of, I feel like I'm coming full circle because I remember when I was first released from prison. Um, you were one of the first people that uh, Lisa introduced me to. Yes, I remember. And I will never forget that, you know, you prayed over me and blessed me. And that was just a wonderful uh, time. So I guess the cycle of hopelessness for me, first of all, um, I was incarcerated for the first time at age 17. And over the course of 23 years, I recidivated four more times. So I was incarcerated a total of five times with the latest release being in 2020. The problem for me in my cycle of hopelessness was that I was, because of my history, I have, I came from a long uh, line of trauma, some from blood relatives, some from church family. And that started at the age of four. So I guess when I think back over it, all I knew was what I had learned um, growing up. So once I the first time I went to prison, I was 17. And so I I often say that prison saved me because that's where I was literally separated from the abuse, physical, mental, sexual, Mm -hmm. but nevertheless, the behavior was learned. So I didn't realize that I was in survival mode for all those years. Instead of having people around me who were nurturing and protecting Mm -hmm. and, you know, they were you know, predators. They were the ones who um, Mm. was shaping uh, my thoughts and my feelings. You know, instead of getting what I needed, you know, I went out searching for what I thought I needed instead of, instead of what I needed, which was being nurtured and being cared for and, um, you know, being raised properly. Mm -hmm. You know, I got the wrong, I was just surrounded by just the wrong everything. So then as I became of age, I should say, well, first, let me also say that, you know, I, at age 14, I, because of the sexual abuse, I became pregnant at age 14. And there were a lot of labels put on me. You know, I just 
all the labels that go with being 14 and being pregnant. And so, um, like I said, when I went to prison uh, at 17, the first time, uh, it was like, a br- that was the first time I felt that I could breathe because I was no longer under the care of the people who were supposed to have been taking care of me. But then, you know, when I got out, I did everything I thought that I was supposed to do. I got a job too, as a matter of fact, I was working seven days a week. I mm-hmm. met who I thought was you know, the love of my life, got married, that relationship ended in, you know, him being unfaithful and just not really knowing Mm -hmm. about. And after that, that just sent me into like a a downward spiral. So the next 16 years, I just, you know, I, I think I used the word when I met you, just a life of debauchery. I I was seeking, trying to fill the voids and trying to, I wanted to do right. I just didn't know how. So, yeah. yeah, and that led to other problems. Not only did I go back to prison four more times, but it just, life just spiraled out of control for me. Well, I'm glad to see your lovely radiance and uh, smile on my screen. I wish everybody else could see it uh, who's only listening. And you've always been a, a delight to be around. So it's, I know, a testimony of what the Lord's been doing in your life. So, so Lisa, I know you well enough to know that you're really greatly motivated by, since she's here today, let's just call it the Michelles of the world. Mm-hmm. So tell our audience, how did you begin to be passionate about and focused on something that, you know, feels as specific as prison ministry? So, you know how you're driving down the road and you're watching where you're going, but you're also, you're also looking in the rearview mirror to see where you've been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that's the story of how I got here. The first time a black man touched me, I was in prison. I was nine or 10 years old. My dad had been doing volunteer prison ministry, and we got to go in. I met a man named Charlie, and it's hard to talk about Charlie without crying. Um, He changed my life. Charlie's story introduced me to a life I did not know existed, um, which was a life of hard stuff from a young age. We do an activity in the prison called Step Into the Circle. We do it with our students. It basically is a form of the ACE score, which is the Adverse Childhood Experience score. So we ask Mm -hmm. questions like, Have you ever been hit so hard in the head that you've had a head injury? Have you ever seen um, a man um, place his hands on a woman's neck? Well, those kinds of events have never occurred in my life, and I didn't know that they did occur. Through going into the prison with my dad at a young age, I learned that the people in prison are not scary people. Mm. There is nothing to be afraid of. The people in prison, like Michelle, have had experiences that I've never had, and they have had adverse childhood traumas that are so deeply woven into their existence that the only hope they have is to attempt to stop those yeah have no means to stop them what you just said might be counterintuitive to many many people so making a caricature here that goes something like this oh come on prison has to by definition be scary to go in and do prison ministry that 
you know, aren't prisoners bad, scary people who they ought to be punished and, you know, they ought to be condemned to the margins of society and, you know, they got what they deserved and you need to do the time and pay your debt to society and, you know, you don't deserve love and action. So say just a bit more about how your heart and mind got past that caricature, that it's something different than just scary, bad people. Not that there aren't occasional scary, bad people in prison, but it can't be reduced to that. Right. So Charlie should have been a scary, bad person. He had murdered Mm. two women. I came to know him as one of the kindest, most gentle men He um, was released after 37 years of imprisonment. Um, He was paroled and came to live with my husband and I and our four children. Um, He became a live-in grandfather. So the Matthew 25 scripture, I feel like Jesus throws a real curveball. When he says, feed the hungry, of course, when he yeah. says, give water to the thirsty, of course, mm-hmm. clothe and yeah. of course. But then he throws this curveball and he says, visit the imprisoned. There's something to that. And I think it's interesting that he doesn't <clears throat> separate the two. He doesn't, in his way of responding as God would respond, he responds to all of it with compassion. He doesn't say it's those who didn't deserve what they got and those who didn't mm-hmm. deserve what they got. He yeah. said, these are suffering, lonely people who need visits. And you and I have talked a bit about, I don't know that there is a harvest that is more ripe than a prison for yeah. people seeking God. They literally have nothing left. We have yeah. all kinds of resources to cover up our real need of God, yes. to, to distract ourselves from our mm-hmm. God. They're all of those distractions and addictions, they're, they're gone. And so um, the opportunity to evangelize really in just a, a way of visiting and being with and helping them see their value, that they are worth it. Just by being present, just by being present is is a real game changer. The word that I like to use, have you seen the glass onion? No, I haven't. So um, it's one of those knives out mysteries that's so popular. But the word that is used is the, the main characters call themselves disruptors. And I'm not sure that that's not what Jesus is really talking about in Matthew 25. To disrupt mm-hmm. thirst, you give something to drink. To disrupt hunger, you feed. Mm-hmm. To disrupt nakedness, you clothe. And to disrupt the captivity of imprisonment, you visit. Yeah. So fast forward, I had retired from as a obstetric nurse midwife and had gone back to Lipscomb to get my master's in Christian ministry because I'd I'd always been in ministry of various forms Mm -hmm. and um, was asked after I graduated to teach in the Lipscomb Life Program, which is an, it's, it's a seminary in maximum facility, maximum security facilities. And it was an easy yes, because I felt at home in the prison. I was not afraid of prisoners. That book, Just Like Me, they're just like us. They're just like us. Same needs, same desires, 
same desire for freedom, but their stories are much more complicated. Yeah. So that's the way I, that's the way I've experienced Mm. it. And that's the way I see it. So Marianne, we've, we've heard from Michelle's experience, um, you know, in her life story of being in and out of prison and how Lisa became passionately involved in prison ministry. I wondered if you could tell our listeners, what does it do to you when you work in the prison? And of course, we never do ministry for what we get out of it. But I I can just imagine that you've got some experiences of how your own heart, mind, spirit has been changed, blessed, edified by doing this work. Can you say a bit about that? Oh, absolutely. You know, as I would, I like to think of myself as being a very intentional person about my life, but I would say that that as much as that is true, I did not have any idea what I was actually getting into when I started Mm. being in the prison on a regular basis. And now that has been the case for almost six years. I would say that it is akin to me standing on a rug and the Holy Spirit just constantly pulling it out from under me. Mm. The minute I think I have my feet under me, the minute I think I have a clue what's going on or how it might go, um, it goes differently. The things that I thought I knew about reading the Bible have changed. The Mm. things that I thought I could predict and how I would vote are completely Mm. different. The ways that I understood community is completely changed. Mm. So the very core of how I identify as a Jesus follower is entirely more complex I know far more than I ever thought I would know, but more importantly, I know far less about the Jesus that I thought I knew before Mm. visiting him in the prison system. So it sounds like you would say you've actually had a lot of spiritual growth that comes from your effort as as a spiritual mentor to help other people grow. Growth and probably even more specifically transformation. Mm. Sometimes it has felt like two steps forward and three steps backward. Yeah. There's been a lot of anger at God. Sometimes Mm. there's been grief, confusion. Yeah. And then other times just unbelievable moments of clarity. Mm. Yeah. Hi, this is Ryan Flanagan, founder of the music project Liturgical Folk and the director of music at Resurrection South Austin. I am very excited to announce that C4SO is partnering with Liturgical Folk to host its first ever liturgical songwriting retreat. The retreat will be held on March 10th and 11th on a beautiful farm just south of Nashville, Tennessee. If you are a songwriter of church music, this retreat is designed for you to catch your breath connect and collaborate with other artists to create new devotional songs for the sake of others. The registration fee is just $99 and includes meals as well as a Lenten concert by Liturgical Folk. If you'd like to learn more or sign up for the retreat, visit c4so.org songwriting retreat. I will be leading this retreat and I look forward to connecting with you there.
Uh, Michelle, going back to you to give our audience some sense of what hope on the inside will will do for prisoners. Give us a favorite memory or something of when Lisa's presence in your life really impacted you and and has made you want to do the same for others. So just maybe a favorite memory of yeah of Lisa's presence being. I don't know, an agent of healing or however you would put it. Yes. I mean, there's so many because of the incredible op- opportunities that she's given me just for employment or, you know, to be able to show up and do work for her and her incredible generosity. More recently, I uh, was able to, I say pay it forward for lack of better words, but I met a homeless man and it was around Christmas and I just you know, because of the way I've seen Lisa walk since I've been in the free world, it set an example for me of, you know, what you've been given, you've been given freely. So there's no need to hold on to it because, you know, God will provide. And yeah. I'm able to um, support a homeless man when it was really, really nice. cold. And it just, yeah. at that moment when I saw him, it I was overcome with this feeling of, there's something I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And and I, I couldn't even leave. We were in a, a Waffle House, my daughter, and mm-hmm. I couldn't leave until I just knew that I've done everything that the Holy Spirit was putting on my heart to do. What's funny about that is the next day, I remember being assaulted with thoughts like, what if this happens? What if, you know, what if he takes advantage of, what if he, you know, all the, all the, the negative voices that would mm-hmm. I was able to sit there and really just out loud in my front porch, I was saying, I will not let the enemy take from me what I know the Holy Spirit is doing in my heart. Yeah, you, know? you go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, just being able to have an example, because for me, there were not a lot of examples of what it's like to to really be serious and and genuine and sincere about what the Lord is, has done in a person's life. So, yeah, that's great. So Lisa, if we haven't made it clear, we need to make it clear that you're going to be the C4SO leader of this new prison ministry called Hope on the Inside. Could you just make this a little practical now? Let's shift and make this a little practical. What are your goals um, with reference to C4SO uh, with Hope on the Inside? What are you hoping will happen? The hope is that we will plant churches inside prisons, inside maximum security prisons, that are sustained by insiders. So we were we were thinking through the questions that that were posed to us and we think it's pretty simple. So the first step would simply be it takes one person. Um, it doesn't take a team to start this. It takes one person yeah. who God mm-hmm. moves with a heart for um, those that are incarcerated to take the step of checking with the chaplain to say who needs visits. Um, I want to say that simple. It's not. It's difficult. Um, the reason that a lot of people aren't going into prisons is they don't make it easy to get in. So it takes someone who's got the desire to cut through the red tape yeah. and to deal with the system of getting in. It takes one person to go in and it takes one person um, on the inside who connects. Word gets around really quickly 
when someone mm. comes in that you can trust and who's going to support you as a person. Uh, okay. Um, so, so it grows. So what's happened with us and, and Marianne's been a big part of this. So she was a student of mine on the inside who I, I just saw something unique about her. I knew that while she had keen um, intellectual abilities and executive abilities, she was so in tune. She was also a contemplative. So she was so in tune with what God was calling her to do and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and what he was forming her for. So she naturally became a partner in this with me. I didn't go out to form a team, but a team is forming around people who have a heart, who are, as, as Marianne calls them, people of peace um, we long to to spread peace, but do it in subversive ways and in disruptive ways. And then from that, we equip and train and educate and disciple insiders mm. to be the church inside. I think the evidence that they were 18 months without visitors during the pandemic yeah. um, at a time when there were people who God had ordained and anointed, but just had not been equipped to to have their own spiritual communities. That was a foreteller of what I feel like God is doing now. Yeah. We're so blessed that we have a group of men who are called, ordained, and anointed, and that God has tapped us to help as he equips and transforms them um, and prepare, prepare them to be the leaders on the inside. Yeah. So what is the first step if a, you know, a a clergy person who's in leadership in a church is listening to you and wanting to take the first step? Is the first step for them to get a hold of you or is the first step to write a letter to a warden or what? How would somebody make practical if they're hearing you today and going, yeah, I want to take the first step? Well, I would love to be a part of that first step. I would love to have that conversation and um, hear the ways that they feel like they're being called for. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with experience, with a lot of bumping up against some really, some really hard fences and from continuing to bump up against them until we get through. I feel Mm -hmm. like that Marianne and I, and some of the people on our team could, could help them get in, get in the door or get the gate in a, we we've learned our lessons through some bumps and bruises. So help them get through the, through the door. And it really as complicated as the institution is God makes a way over and over again. And the frustrations that we feel, and we feel them, there have been times when five of us have have approached security to get in, and one of us had to sit in the car for two and a half hours for the most, mm. for unexplained reasons, except yeah. that and the last time it was Mary Ann, she said, well, I prayed for two and a half hours in the car. So, so seeing the frustrations as ordained, and they help you understand. We identify with those on the inside, even if it's just for two and a half hours a week, because yeah. we become the insider. We have no mm-hmm. rights. We are yeah. elevated. What we give up is our entitlement. We completely give up entitlement. We are mm-hmm. at the mercy of cruel system. And we continue to go in because it's what it's what we're called to do. 
Lisa and Michelle, I, I think I've told you guys this story, but when I was a young church planner in 1979, one of my first tent making jobs was I was working at like a business trade school um, and teaching just like basic, I think, economic math. And um, we had a contract with the local maximum security prison in Moundsville, West Virginia, built before the Civil War, dark and dank as you can, um, you know, almost like stereotypical, like something you'd see in a movie, uh, you know, is how bad this prison was. But I was in my early 20s. I didn't know anything. I was just having fun and, uh, you know, going into prison and teaching these courses. Well, it's interesting, you know, these big bad inmates, you know how I would get them to behave? No. is they would they would promise me if I would teach the book of Revelation, they would come on time and sit still and listen and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I, I would teach these because, you know, it's the 70s and people were fascinated, you know, like <laughs> with Hal Lindsey and all that stuff. So I just is always a, a funny story to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Marianne, so if somebody's hearing Lisa and thinking, gosh, I think I want to do this, but they simultaneously have these accusing voices like, I'm impotent or I'm a poser. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm nervous about it. Did you say something about how people who are feeling interested, but simultaneously feeling fearful, like, well, what do we do? Uh, move your feet. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let the rest of you follow. That sounds like a prophetic word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just that simple. You will know, you will not be prepared. You will say the wrong thing. You will wear the wrong thing. You will carry the wrong bag. You will feel uncomfortable. You will not know who to talk to. And then you'll do it again the next week. And yeah. you'll show up again. Before you know it, you will experience what we are woefully inadequately trying to experience. That it is absolutely worth taking the risk. And, you know, we all need a little bit of practice in humility, not taking ourselves too seriously, not feeling um, like we are in control. It's okay. Yeah. To, it's, 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 it's good spiritual practice and discipline to put yourself in a situation where you're not in control. Yep. That sounds like a word from the Lord. Lisa, one more question for you, and then I, I want to give you a minute to give people some concrete ways to connect with you and stuff. What should people do if they feel like my gift is teaching? So does that mean I should teach in the prison or, or I'm a trained spiritual director or my gift is in healing or I, you know, whatever someone might say, is there a way for someone to enter prison ministry in a way that they can enter it based on their gift mix and station in life and temperament? So the short answer is yes. The longer answer is, it's a process. Mm. So the context is, as I said earlier, TDOC, Tennessee Department of Corrections, and any other Department of Corrections, does not facilitate getting into prisons easily. Stuff yeah. in that's not supposed to come in. So they don't, they don't look at me and say, hey, you're... Oh, this nice lady wants to help. Exactly. Yeah. So she can come in and do what she wants to do. So right. it is a process of trust. It takes one person and one connection. I just asked uh, Michelle if she wanted to tell the story briefly of our meeting, because it cannot be understated enough that this is an act of God. And every week getting in and out is an act of God. And even mine and Michelle's chance meeting was an act of God. 
Mm. So as Marianne said, amen and amen. If the wind of the spirit is carrying you somewhere, go with it. The wind will carry you where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, Lisa, what I think I hear you saying is, well, yes, of course, we would enter prison like we would enter any place else based on who we are, our history, background, temperament, gift mix, etc. But when we get into a place like prison, then we enter a conversation where that context begins to show us yeah. what what of that needs to come out yeah. and that we shouldn't be surprised that the spirit might use us in surprising ways. That we feel like our gift is teaching, but we might find ourselves praying for people and people experiencing inner healing or whatever. Once the door, so it's getting in the gate, it's it's connecting with a spiritual community is two people and Jesus, right? <laughs> and then and then it just grows. And what happens every week, even though we have an outline of what we're going to do every week, what happens every week is entirely unpredictable. And mm. there is there is a grace and a fear in that. Grace is that we we walk away. Most of the time we walk out through the yard in a lot of silence because of what's just happened. And yeah. the ride back home, we do a lot of processing. Um, so yeah, we <clears throat> act as prayer partners, spiritual directors, mentors, educators, whatever. Yeah. So that reminds me of something else, Lisa, that people who listen to this podcast live all over America. Mm -hmm. And though you three ladies are in the greater Nashville area, you know how to help people navigate any state system, right? Yes, I can, I yeah. can point them in the direction for them to start asking the right questions of the right people. Because yeah. of corrections, they real, there's some differences. There's definitely different personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, there are federal laws and yeah. um, state laws that get you in and okay. out again. So, yes. I just wanted our listeners to have that confidence that they wouldn't be on their own if they were no, we can starting to interact with the institution. Yes. Okay. All right, Michelle. Yes, I would love to hear this <laughs> final story. And then, Lisa, for you to close with uh, telling people how to get a hold of you and how to get started with um, Hope on the Inside. So, Michelle. Um, it was a Wednesday night. Matter of fact, I know the date because I journaled in my taking a class in Lipscomb, uh, spiritual directions class. And we were just now beginning the class and there were two ladies in the class that I had had an altercation with. And I knew to hold myself accountable that I had done wrong. I had written against mm. this, this altercation. So when I went into the class and I saw them, I was like, I don't want to be here. And I got up to leave. And I, as I was leaving, I just I see this woman standing in the hallway. And I just I just walked up to her and I was like, I have a question. Because I was I was really frustrated. And I don't know how I came across it. She always tells me she never experienced me as being aggressive or angry. And I told her, you know, I got into it with these ladies. And I know I was wrong. I said some things I know I should have said. And I know the Holy Spirit is convicting me. But I don't want to apologize because I'm tired of being a mat and I'm tired of being taken advantage of and I'm tired of people hurting me. And just as calmly, she put her hands on each side of my arms and she said, what would it cost you to do what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do? Mm. And she asked me that. It's like the floor opened up from under me. It's like mm. a whole new way of, I don't know what happened, but 
at that moment, I looked and down the hallway was coming one of the ladies that I had an altercation with. Lisa knew nothing about, you know, who this was or, or anything. So I said, will you just stand here and just support me while I do what I know I'm supposed to do? And she said, yes. Yeah. So the lady walked up to me and I only had seven words for her. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Mm. And she went on and I just turned around and just fell in Lisa's arms. I was just sobbing because wow. at that point it was like, you know, I had I'd suffered a lot of uh, injustice and a lot of uh, a lot of things where people had, you know, things that were not my fault. And I felt like, yeah. you know, why do I have to be the one to do the right thing? Mm. What the Holy Spirit was calling me to do despite everything. Wow. That's so beautiful. So encouraging. A really great pivot, Lisa. If If people want to place themselves in that position to have that kind of effect on prisoners. What do they do? How do they get a hold of you? What's the, what would you like a C4SO leader to do who wants to think with you about prison ministry? So um, I'm sure we can do a link somewhere, but my email is Lisa at goodshepherdnashville.org. So L-I-S-A at goodshepherdnashville.org. Just email me and we'll set up a time to have a conversation in I would love to be that person and we would love to be that team to help them with their first steps, totally trusting that God will make a way where God has called someone. And so to facilitate what God is calling someone to do and who he's forming them to be um, would just be a joy for us. Yep. So you guys can do some coaching, some mentoring, some guidance, um, maybe even connecting people to the right people in their state yes. uh, to help them get going. We, Great. We would be thrilled to do that. I am so excited about this, Lisa. And Marianne, it's great to meet you for the first time today. Thanks for being here. Uh, you as well. And Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your vulnerability. We so treasure the work of God in your heart and the sweet spirit that's been created. Thanks for helping us today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> And Lisa, I'm really grateful for you to be leading this. And I hope that our time today will uh, give confidence to uh, clergy and lay people all over C4SO to take you up on your offer to coach them into prison ministry. Thank you. So thank you. Todd, thank you for facilitating this. We are, we are so grateful. <laughs>